gentlemen, Mr. Bob Dylan. Welcome back to Joker Men Podcast. I'm Evan. I'm Ian. And today we're talking about Bootleg Series Volume 3. If you're listening to this, you are um, one of our best friends. You're a, a Patreon giver. This is Jokerman raw and uncut, uncensored, only for the Patreon subscribers. You guys can handle the real rough and rowdy conversation. Uh, yeah, the rough and rowdy. <laughs> um, anything you want to get out of the way t- today? Uh, any- anything new? Well, uh, you know, it's always good to warm up a little, little banter, I guess, Chit-chat. just kind of yeah. to e- ease in here. Last time we talked about your cable knit sweater, which you're not oh, wearing. I actually have to tell you something about that sweater. Mm. I had to return it. Oh no. What happened? Well, the next day I was, I was wearing it. I had only had it for like two days and then I looked down at my arm. And there's a big rip in it. And I I said to myself, no way did I do that. <laughs> and so I actually called up the place where I purchased the sweater and I explained to them that I didn't think that I really had anything to do with this. And they said, oh, come, come on in. It's okay. I didn't find anything else I wanted. What a so shame. They, they gave me store credit. Uh-huh. Um, but it's a store I usually find something good. So, you know, come... Come warmer weather, maybe I'll get myself some nice shorts or something. Sure, absolutely. Cable knit shorts. So it had a big rip. <laughs> yeah, it had a big rip in the arm. But you didn't notice it. But, well, but what I think rip happened you didn't... was this rip was uh. like uh, artificially. I think it was kind of closed up to be, um, to be made so you couldn't see it. Hmm. But I think it was there. Oh, sort and, of camouflage. And it, yeah, and then it popped open. And so I got had it. a large slit on my right arm. Popped open with due to your your brawn. My boss, biceps. my bicep, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> That's where it was. Very cool. Um I guess the other thing is just like the terrible, tragic, and sad news of the death of Sophie, the great artist of of electronic music. That was really a, yeah. it's been very much a bummer. I tweeted from the Jokerman account that Sophie has done for electronic music what Bob Dylan did for rock and roll. And I stand by it. You know, I'm uh, I'm I'm certainly not one to to rain on anyone's parade, particularly at a time like this. So, uh, you know, but you I, don't think that I'm right. I will st- I will stand by you uh, as your fellow Joker man. Uh, everything that comes from the Joker man accounts is co-signed 100 percent of the time by both of us. <laughs> yeah, I I really do think a case can be made though for uh, something like that statement. You know, yeah, it's a re- really really emotional. Um, music really 
bright and uh, energetic music brought so much uh, life to that genre. Right. And, and really influential on like everything that's coming out now. Like so many people are produced by Sophie and so many, so many uh, people are emulating that sound or trying to get that sound. So, right. Yeah. yeah. That Vince Staples record from a couple of years ago had a couple great Sophie tracks on it. Yeah. Um, Truly. Yeah. I, I think like the, a very important career that was, you know, cut down too soon. Um, still very important, but I think it would have been, you know, like a, a gone on to be a, a continued to be a, a very legendary career. Right. So, um, tr- this one goes to, to Sophie. I'm going to have a sip of, uh, mezcal. Yeah. Bottoms up. Thank you. You got a worm in that? Uh, no, no. Huh? Should I go yeah, so get it's one? The, it's snowing right now. I'm in yeah. New York and it's snow. <laughs> yeah, the snow is fun. We've got, uh, you know, f- for, for you folks at home who are listening at this point, you're going to be listening to this several days after the the big snowstorm here in New York City. Yeah, but that's my all, school is canceled tomorrow. That's all anyone's talking about. Got snow, snow on the brain. No class tomorrow. I do have class tomorrow, but that's because it's all remote. Mine is not remote. Yeah, it's hard to uh, do remote learning when you're trying to cook uh, cod. Yeah, I'm just cooking cod all day. <laughs> it's, it's everyone's favorite fish. What are we doing today, Ian? Well, we're back to finish up the first suite of bootleg series episodes here. Uh, you know, I, I think as our Patreon listeners hopefully have noticed by now we're on sort of we've adopted a new cadence i don't know that we've uh, made this clear to listeners quite yet uh but maybe we'll mention this on the next free episode as well uh we're, we're shooting for a two free episodes one patreon episode kind of cadence here and so you've just finished with our last two world gone wrong episodes and mm-hmm. uh, and so we're back again with bootleg series volume three to wrap up the initial trilogy of records that came out in 1991 uh, obviously the previous two or the previous two Patreon episodes. So if you haven't listened to those, go back and give them a spin. Um, but now we need to run through basically uh, 15 years of Bob's career on this last one disc. 16 years. Yeah, exactly. Almost. Uh, for, unfortunately, not enough of uh, that kind of sound uh, on, on this disc. And that's something we'll get into uh, in a little bit, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, But where True. the first two discs were... Uh, like about 12, 13 years of his career from 62 to 74, basically. This one, this last one disc takes up 15 years on its own. So mm-hmm. not as much plumbing of the depths of, of the vaults here on this Changing one. Changing of the guards, not enough of that either. Not enough of that, certainly not. The plumbing um, of the depths. <laughs> um. So, so yeah, so that's what we're, that's what we're here to do is just kind of speed run through, uh, you know, 1975 to 1989. And some of these songs are songs that we've talked about a little bit already. Some of these songs are other versions of songs that we've also talked about in depth. So, uh, you know, we've, we're going to be retreading a little bit, but well, we're going to be retreading a little bit, but also context here. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and kind of, you know, uh, assessing this initial bootleg series release, as a whole, kind on its of, own, as as a 
as a volume of the bootleg series. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, kind of all three of them together here. And now that we're, we're reaching the end of the road uh, and, and kind of consider what exactly is Bob doing with these bootleg series releases, because beginning now, 19 or not now, but beginning in 1991, he kind of embarks on two like parallel careers where there's like current day Bob a contemporary Bob who's releasing his own music. And then, uh, and then there's the Bob of the past. It, there's like a, like an, like a time shifting Bob. Yeah. The exactly. Time, yeah. The time traveling Bob who's sort of like running around w- pell mell willy nilly through, through all the eras of his career. Exactly. Searching like a, for sort those, of the gems. temporal, uh, temporal elf. Yeah. Uh, you know, popping up here and there exactly and delivering like different treats to the listeners sometimes from 1963 yeah, sometimes speaking of temporal elf yeah if you take dmt that's that's a commonly reported hallucination is bob dylan going <laughs> from one dimension to the next going i gotta find out what my best songs were from from 1985 to 1987 we're veering uh, very closely into the anti-semitic territory um <laughs> How so? Because he's traipsing <laughs> through dimensions. Is that he's, something Q believes? Like the elf. That's Jews that's doing tropes. Like, no, no, elf isn't. We've been over this, Ian. Elf is not right. 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 No, Excuse me. Goblin. I'm sorry. I got goblin. I got confused. That goblin. <laughs> to all the anti semites out there, I apologize. Yeah, you haven't watched Lord of the Rings recently. Clearly, yeah. it's it's the goblins who are like the ones with the hook noses and like the big ears. Yeah, it's the elves. Who are like the ones with yes big ears, but also um, more like uh, Euro- European uh, features, Scandi- uh, Scandinavian, Scandinavian features, yeah, right. Although uh, Orlando Bloom, you know, well, I guess they give him a big long wig of blonde. That's Hollywood movie magic for you, right there. Yeah, he's not actually blonde. Yeah. Well, on uh, that note, before we do too much more eugenics, uh, shall we? <laughs> Shall we file fire up the old harmonica? Yeah, I gotta get me one too, so I can do it, and we can oh. do it together. That would be pretty good. That's the next. The, the first Patreon goal is 50, <laughs> 50 listeners. We'll do the Ronaldo and Clara episode at a hundred listeners. Evan will get a harmonica. Honestly, I'm in no rush for people to subscribe because so far we haven't had to watch Ronaldo and Clara, and that's okay <laughs> that's with true. me. <laughs> well. But you should any... come on, tell your family and friends. Uh, yeah, hit the horn, Ian. You got it. Wow, that was beautiful. Really spirited. I'm getting the hang of this. A great start. And uh, what do we kick off with? What's the first song? What's the the kickstarting engine of the of bootleg volume three? Well, like we talked about at the end of the last episode, or the last Patreon episode, Bootleg 2 kind of ends in media res, you know, kind of in the middle of the Blood on the Track sessions, and that's exactly where, that's where Disc we pick 3 up here, yeah. picks up, exactly, with just one single Blood on the Track song, um, but uh, but yeah, just kind of squaring the circle that was left unfinished from the last one. Uh, if you see her, say hello. Yeah. Um, you know, it's good. I, I don't, again, I feel like one thing I'm not liking about bootleg volume two and three so far is like, start that off with a, with a bigger bang, maybe, you know, right? like this song is good. Every, you know, everyone loves this song in context of the record that it's in, I think, especially, uh, blood on the tracks. 
But as like an opener of any volume of anything, it's a little bit like, eh, really? You want to start with with like a gentle acoustic love ballad? Right. But, you know, I can't complain. It's it's a good version of, of a great song. Great version of a great song, I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't need to continue to uh, say the same thing I've said over and over again at this point, but I think all of these songs that we have, the... New York versions, you know, of from Blood on the Tracks as opposed to Minneapolis are are all You're, cuts you that favor I them. Yeah. I favor exactly, but only because we have both the New York and the Minneapolis versions. I, I if if we only had the original cut of Blood on the Tracks, I would feel like I, I'm sure I would feel like something else is missing. There isn't enough fire sure. and, and we, we've been anger. over this a million times, but um, I I guess uh, my feeling about the New York version again, just I guess I've I've I'm sure I've said this, but it it seems especially clear to me in in this context here. It's like I I think that the songs on Blood on the Tracks and Blood on the Tracks overall is something that you really have to kind of let yourself sink into the right mood to fully enjoy um, because it it is uh, it it's a more demanding record I think in a lot of ways. Like it demands something of your own imaginative investment to really get the most out of it. Um, to let these songs sort of unfold. They're not like wham, bam songs. They're, they kind of like slowly paint this panoramic picture. So I'm a little wary of them just, of just being dropped into them like with, without any warning. Right. Yeah. I, I see that. Absolutely. And uh, I do think, you know, on the note of starting off a volume with this track and having had other Blood on the Track songs on the previous volume, like, I I think it's clear, like, in the time, in the years since this initial triptych of bootleg series releases came out, they've kind of figured out what they're doing with these releases and, like, you know, kind of begun to segment them much more steadily. But this initial release, like, I don't think anyone had any plans to release another 13 volumes of the bootleg series over the following 30 years or whatever. And it's an interesting thing that it was done one, two, three all at once. Right. Well, that's a weird, a weird choice kind of, I think that's exactly, exactly it. Like if, if this release came out today under the current bootleg series numbering patterns, this would just be one volume. However, Um, it, it does totally make sense in some way because they're, they're really celebrating 30 years is kind of the rough mark that this came out at. Right. So three volumes, Roughly covering those decades is kind of what you get. That's true. Absolutely. Very roughly, um, though. Yeah, close enough. Uh, for those of you, you know, looking for more Blood on the Tracks uh, conversation, go listen to the three hours that we did on Blood on the Tracks or the two hours we did on the 70s retrospective, which uh, an hour at least was devoted to Blood on the Tracks. And, once and we again. certainly, we will have to do Blood on the Tracks. Uh, the well, more blood, more tracks. More actually. blood, more tracks. Yes, but that's some that's some ways down, down the line at this point. Um, next song. Yeah, Golden Loom. Uh, this is a uh, one I I'm not that familiar with. You're not that familiar with. <laughs> uh, well, fortunately, I am familiar with Golden Loom because I've listened to it many times. See, I haven't listened to it many times, but I've listened to it. <laughs> I mean, it, like right off the bat, even if you're not familiar with it, 
you know, the the sound of the fiddle or the violin on there should really blast you back right to one specific kind of time and place and era in Bob's career. You know, we're talking, of course, of the Desire era. Yeah. Uh, 1975. So this was, this was a Desire uh, outtake. Yes. Yeah. And, this was um, one that during was the written... sort of infamously chaotic Desire early sessions, no? I I think that it was just in the, yeah, in the, you know, recorded during those sessions, uh, the same as everything else, mm-hmm. um, and, but was discarded from the ultimate track list for whatever reason. You know, I'm listening to it right now. Um, just to refresh my memory, it's good, you know? I, I wouldn't mind a song like this showing up on Desire, a kind of, like, um, country, just sort of a straight-up country love song with a kind of a good propulsive... I don't know, It's not, I guess it's not totally a love song, is it? Yeah, I mean, it is, it is a love song, yeah. You know, Bob is trying to, or the narrator, rather, is trying to you know, uh, liaise with a lady of some sort. Um, but yeah, ultimately a, she, like a little she disappears sexy, I guess. Uh, by the end of it. Um, uh, I see the trembling lion with the lotus flower tail. And then I kiss your lips as I lift your veil, but you're gone. And then all I seem to recall is the smell of perfume and your golden loom. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It's a, it's a really nice kind of, uh, uh, uh bright, uh, attractive imagery throughout the, it is worth noting. This is, you know, uh, as as all desire heads uh, out there know, uh, the record was the product of a co-writing series. Oh yes, Bob, we haven't talked about this yet. We haven't mentioned that. Yeah, Jacques, uh, Bob's co-writer for the record, Jacques uh, Levy or Levy. Um, you know, Bob and he holed up out on Long Island somewhere, and you know, jammed out most of the songs together. Um, and uh, obviously, as our listeners know, uh, Bob has recently sold the entirety of his catalog for hundreds of millions of dollars. Jacques was Levy's, it hundreds of millions? I think so, right? Wasn't it, it was 200, that. $300 million? Gosh, was it? I'm pretty sure. Damn. Let's do a uh, uh, real-time fact check here. Bob Dylan That's so many. sells so many. catalog. Dollars? Uh, for, do, 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 for reported $300 million. Wow. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's a lot. That's pretty, that's a lot of money. Yeah, that's it's you know he. He's I done think well. about it for a second. I think, yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> wow. Anyways, um, uh, Jacques Levy's, um, uh, who is dead, uh, his widow, I believe, is uh, has sued Bob, or Bob's estate, or whatever. Um, claiming that some X percentage of that money is supposed to go to Jacques for his co-writing mm-hmm. credits on Desire and, by extension, just her, basically. Yeah, well, I think that that's fair, honestly. Oh, I, I agree. Bob's contention or Bob's people's contention is that, that Jacques' uh, interest in all these songs has already been uh, zeroed out, has already been settled elsewhere, and that this new sale doesn't actually involve him at this point because that he's already sounds, been paid for it in the past that sounds like bullshit to me but yeah i mean at this point you got to kind of think where there's smoke there's fire uh and a lot of it, it, a recurring theme of bob's career is is sort of some um uh some arguments and some some um uh lack of clarity uh surrounding the authorship and um some uh, songwriting like credits 
<laughs> you said it, not me. Yeah, uh, I was kidding. He's the Jewish one, so you can't get mad at him. Uh, um, me, I'm Jewish. Yeah. Uh, yes, Evan. I thought you were um, saying Bob's. <laughs> well, that's what I also. also <laughs> that's another thing I call another name. I call Bob the Jewish one. <laughs> the Jewish one. Um. Anyways, um, he's that a, is a Zimmy. To be decided. He is Zimmy, yeah. <laughs> Zimmy sound, sounds like it could be like a racist. Triple like, parentheses uh, Zimmy. Yeah, a, a, an anti-Semitic. Uh, insult. Insult, yeah. Yeah. He's a he's a dirty Zimmy. <laughs> anyway, um, hopefully Jacques Levy gets his just re- his rewards. His and he's dead. Rights. He's long dead. But uh, right, yeah, whatever. he's he's doing fine. Anyways, Golden Loom, Golden uh, Loom the song yeah. that we're talking about here, was it's, not written with Jacques Levy. This was a Bob single uh, solo composition, okay, um, which could potentially explain Just why it was left off, off of, of the, the marking that off the list of things of, of reasons to give Jacques <laughs> Levy any money. Exactly. I mean, it could explain why One it was less. left off the. Off the record because well, it everything have that on that levy magic does it right exactly it's lacking the levy that 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 signature levy sound. Um, I think every song on that record was co-written with Levy except for Sarah right at the end. Yeah, that would um, be very funny if that was co-written with Chuck. Right. Levy. Yeah. And you're gonna want to say, Bob, you're gonna want to say something about your wife being a magical, mystical, some kind of <laughs> some kind of a, a sorcerer, some kind of a sorceress, a mystical wife even. Throw that in there, Bob. That's my impression of what Jacques Levy sounds like. That's pretty good. I think or, he might be would French. It be, well, you think maybe he's like a, like a, he's from the Bayou with that first name, but he's also Jewish. So <laughs> sure. it would be like something like, uh, uh, I'll tell you, Bob, I'll tell you, you're going to want to put some schmear on that, uh, <laughs> on that, that song. Boy. Is that a good? Uh, I mean, it just sounds kind of like a Bayou guy who mentions the word schmear, but I, you know, <laughs> that's sort of a challenging uh, fusion yeah, to come up really with. That is really tough. There. I might have to work on that. I, yeah. I say, my name's Jacques Le- Jacques Levy. Jacques Levy. Jacques Levy. <laughs> yeah, down here in the Bayou, we work on a lot of different. Uh, I make in my shop. I make uh, accordions and menorahs. There you go. <laughs> is I'm it, working is the accordion on a, a Jewish instrument? No, it's a it's a Bayou instrument. <laughs> okay. I say I say we work on accordions and menorahs. I'm working on a combination, a combination of both. Okay, I think no. we can move on. <laughs> um, next song, Catfish, which another Desired Era song. This one is co-authored with old Jacques Levy. And apparently, according to my my big knowledge book uh, that I've been referencing recently... Is that, is that just what you call your brain? Uh, no, it's what I call Bob Dylan, All the Songs. Uh, the <laughs> well, story a behind good, a every good title. track. <laughs> you know, it's, Bob Dylan, All the Songs. It's, it is, you know, what, what you see is what you get. It is what it is. Uh, apparently, this song... It's co-authored with Jacques Levy, mostly a Jacques Levy song in the first place. Bob, I guess, had a little less to do with this. It's about baseball. It's about catfish uh, somebody, catfish uh, hunter. 
Is that a real baseball artist? Yeah, real guy. Catfish See, I don't, I don't know too much about baseball. Actually, you're the baseball guy, but between the two of us, I am more of a baseball guy. Although I also wasn't terribly familiar with Catfish Hunter. A James Augustus Hunter, nicknamed Catfish, was a professional ball player in Major League Baseball when? from 1965 to 1979. It looks like. Wow, you know, it it strikes me that if they had included this song, that record. Would have had like three songs, two of which about actual athletes, and one about a uh, a gangster. Like three like songs about real life people. Right, we've got Hurricane and we've got Joey. Joey, and, and then it, Catfish, Catfish would have been, the third. Would have been the, the third one. Isn't that a strange uh, theme that they were working on? Is just sort of these these. I guess it's you know not unheard of in in Bob's. Uh, catalog you've got like the lonesome death of hattie carroll you know obviously based on a real event and i could probably think of a few others right uh, the, the one with medgar ever is getting shot in that song it's the jacques levy touch right there all these real life people does he say million dollar bash in this song no but he does say he's a million dollar man, million dollar man yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've got your Get your brain on the on the uh, basement uh, tapes. Um, uh, Catfish, million dollar man. Nobody can throw the ball like Catfish can. Pretty simple, straightforward, kind of bluesy, you know, uh, song. There's not too much going on here. I can see why it wasn't included on Desire. You know, it doesn't really fit the kind of template for what was happening on that. Yeah, it, it is pretty boilerplate blues, but it's pleasant in its way. It's just nothing, yeah, pleasant. nothing to scream home about. Yeah, absolutely. I should mention also just like listening to these couple desire songs right in a row. You know, I, I, I love desire. Desire is so good. Yeah. You know, you know how I feel about desire is like, I kind of, I, I like desire, but I don't, I don't naturally gravitate towards it. Yeah, it was just such like a, such a like fully fleshed out and like like perfectly developed kind of sound and vibe and like approach and it and it was just the one re- like just the one record uh, by by the time we get another record it's street legal and it's two years later and something totally de- like I feel like there was much more that he could have mined out of Desire than he did and maybe that's why it's great. When I think of Desire, I don't think of it so much as this like rich well spring that they could have just gone at forever. I actually look at desire as that album. And I think of it as like, wow, they got by on the skin of their teeth. They recorded this record before wow. this vibe fell apart. Wow. Like this was a, a moment in time where they had, there was a vibe going and they managed to make a record out of that and, right. and cobble something together that felt like by virtue of just honestly, I don't think the desire era that whole period would have been anything without the clothes. The clothes were definitely a big part like, of it. Like, can you, it, it would not be that interesting without the physical the clothes, clothing. the face paint, yeah. the feathers. Right. That's the pageantry of it is kind of the signifier of that era. And I don't know that it's, uh, has like a lot more to give. I think that they kind of made it what it was by a combination of that violin 
and like those clothes. And then everything right. in between was just kind of like fixed up to look like an album. And then it kind of fell apart. Right. I mean, clearly there wasn't much more to give because, you know, as we saw by the second stint of Rolling Thunder, which was just spring 76 and Bob with the fucking turban and stuff and hard rain and all of those performances, like yeah. it, yeah, it ran out of gas, but well, cause that's, just, that's what I mean by, I, I feel like it was just kind of a little, a little moment that it's a good thing that they managed to get this record out of it. But to me, it's not like, it's not like some other things that I would maybe give my uh, three stars to where I feel like, uh, I don't know, like there was some great timeless mystery to it or something like that. It was well, just vibey and cool. Yeah. That's I mean, it, it's, it's great that they got what they did out of it. Uh, it, it's just, it, it was so rich to me what is on that record and what's on the first stint of Rolling Thunder that, um, right. you know, it, it, uh, it's just shocking that it came together so quickly and then fell apart so quickly. I, guess. I mean, it's an important vibe and important part of Dylan's, uh, history and story. And I think that the message, uh, the, I think that the, that feeling that you're getting at that is so, uh, compelling is something that for my money, you see more of in this next song, actually. Uh, seven days seven days yes this is um a live performance um from 76 and uh i think it's it's really a good example of what we just talked about that sort of um uh, enthralling uh all-encompassing vibe that characterizes that era right um Dylan's voice sounds really cool on this. Like he sounds really, he sounds very tired and weathered. Like when he introduces it, um, I don't know. It's, it's really good to me. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really, um, propulsive, like I could, I could see this on the being on desire and it fitting right in. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's kind of a heavy song, uh, at least as far yeah, as yeah. the desire song or the desire template kind of uh sounded like the guitar on this is like really kind of raw and like harsh but like in a cool way Mm -hmm. and yeah bob's voice is very kind of deep and and weathered kind of sounding sounds Um, like he smoked like two packs of cigarettes before um, he probably did yeah um yeah it's uh it's just kind of a nice uh a, a nice and I hesitate to say hard rocker because it isn't hard rock, but it is a harder rocking yeah. song. I mean, it's, than... I think you can hear it in the context of rock in 1976 and right. it feels a little bit heavier, like you said. Yeah. Right. God. Yeah. And there's these like kind of like flutes going on in the background too. Yeah. This is good. It is good. Yeah. Seven days and some very good singing too. Like he, Dylan does some really cool vocal trills and stuff that really like all land and the band sounds really together. It's uh it's a highlight, I think of uh bootleg three. Yeah. I think, uh, I think it's, it's definitely very good. Definitely, uh, earns its place here. And now things start getting interesting. 
things do start getting extra. And this is what we were talking about a little uh, a few minutes ago uh, or earlier in the episode at this point. Um, but so next song, uh, <laughs> "Ye Shall Be Changed." Yeah. Um, which uh, you know uh, everyone I'm sure is already aware of what era this comes from. Uh, but before we get into it, we should just note right the the Seven Days Live '76. This would have been from like the second leg of rolling thunder um so like april 76 right and now we're into ye shall be changed from 79 yeah so we've we've just that entire street legal budokan era period is just nowhere represented on this record whatsoever it's just been wiped off yeah i guess in 1992 or or three when this was released it was 92 right 91 oh sorry 91 when this was released that still seemed like a sore subject maybe i guess so but that like the crit- not- like, i mean the christian shit was a real sore subject at least critically speaking but no i mean critically like that era wasn't was trashed i think that it was starting to be seen as not prime which era like budokan and stuff Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it always had has been or had been up until this point, at least. Um, and and I, I mean, some of this might be just like the, I don't know how much there actually is in the vaults from that era um, in terms of, um, you know, uh, outtakes and, and discarded cuts and stuff, because as we noted on our street legal episodes, it, that was a very tortured kind of recording session. And Bob was going through his actual divorce with Sarah at that time, and he was not vibing very much. So it, it's quite possible that there just isn't a whole lot in terms of, you know, alternate cuts and extra tracks and shit. But that was such a, again, such like a fascinating and interesting kind of period of time in his uh, career to me. And like, I, I, I wish there was more of that to draw from. Hopefully, you know, at some point in the future, we'll get a new bootleg series that focuses on that kind of shit. But uh, to my, to my mind, we haven't had enough of it um, quite yet. Anyways, ye shall be changed. Um, it's pretty corny. Yeah, it sounds like something that um, Kirk Cameron would be happy to listen to. <laughs> it's got like this sort of got like the piano at the beginning. It almost sounds like a like a Hall and Oates song. Or yeah, something. yeah, it does. It has this kind of like full house energy to it. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of bad. <laughs> I, it it's it is bad, but I kind of like it because it's bad. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's not unlikable for sure. Yeah, but it's, I mean, the and the lyrics and everything like actually bring it to like uh, they make it feel. I don't know. It's a song that makes me wonder, like, if this wasn't Bob Dylan, what would I think about this? Right. And I would probably go, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> Just like this song that sounds like a sitcom intro music that is like about how you need to, ye shall be changed, like extremely straight up Old Testament hook. Yeah. And as as we saw quite extensively on uh, Slow Train, which, you know, this song is from the Slow Train sessions down at Muscle Shoals. Um, you know, Bob had a very bitter kind of outlook on things, uh, and, and not a very kind of gracious approach towards Christianity, at least here at the beginning. And this song has those same kind of sentiments to it. Uh, you drink bitter water and you've been eating the bread of sorrow. You can't live for today when all you're ever thinking of is tomorrow. Um, you know, uh, there's something else in here. Me of a little bit. 
Huh. You don't want a love that's pure. <laughs> you want to drown love. You want to water down love. Beep, 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 beep. Like it's a little bit like a predecessor. I kind of see that. Predecessor to watered down love. The great watered down love from the great shot of love. Yeah. <laughs> both of those um, things are what you just said, both of the ways that you just said those things, that is the right, that's correct. Yeah. They are both great. Uh, you shall be changed though. So it like the, the bitter lyric is, is weird cause it, it clashes so obviously with the kind of full house, like sound to the song. Like it sounds like a song that you're just kind of like bopping along and like kind of whistling to and marching down the street yeah. and happy. And Bob is singing about some guy who's like a shithead and an asshole and like needs to be changed by accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just a weird kind of mix. It's a song that sounds like tossed salads and scrambled eggs and and it's a it's the lyrics are about you know going to hell and and the dead will arise and burst out of your clothes yeah all your loved ones have walked out the door you're not even sure about your wife and kids no more yeah yeah like being like totally mistrustful and ruinous to your well-being in your life by by abandoning the lord should also note one of my favorite lyrics on all of bootleg series uh, three, at least uh, don't have to go to Russia or Iran, right. just surrender to God and he'll move you right here where you stand and ye shall be changed. I'm starting to like this song. Um, <laughs> it's pretty it's, it's weird because it, it, it weirdly doesn't sound like anything else on slow train on slow train. Yeah, exactly. It's like so much more up and jaunty. Um, it, but I guess there's other songs that are upbeat on Slow Train, but like, yeah, I mean, there's like Precious Angel, but the Precious rest of the Angel record is more like it doesn't have this like AM radio type sound though. Like, right? I'm listening to "You Shall Be Changed." Again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sound it, it. It should be said, it sounds good. Like the playing on it is good. The production is great. I, you know, I think the kind of you know this this was the first appearance of Knopfler. <laughs> it, it's uh, just it's crazy how dark it sounds. It's just such a weird kind of clash lyrically. of vibe and yeah. lyric. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Anyway, you shall be changed. Check it That's out. That's what the bootleg series is for. Yeah. Um. It really does remind me of um, uh, Water Down Love a little bit. Water Down Love. Um, And then I just put on the next song. I'm listening to it. God, that intro to the demo of Every Grain of Sand. Yes. Yeah, this is just splendid. Gets you every time. Yep. Just makes me want to close my I'm closing my eyes, you know. Yeah. It's one that we've talked about a little bit before, so we, we probably don't need to spend too much more time waxing rhapsodic on it. Um, yeah. But yeah, the demo version of Every Grain of Sand from 1980, which in, was included on our Best of the 80s playlist. Um, you know, the last song on Shot of Love, the strongest song on Shot of Love, but uh, this version of it is, you know, the, strongest is the way the song, the strongest sure. version, exactly. this is the way the song should be presented. Just a very simple kind of spare piano and uh, acoustic guitar and a dog barking in the background. Yeah. Continuously. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
It's so beautiful. Yeah, it's uh, it's perfect, and it's like it's kind of the like apotheosis of Bob's songwriting um, during the Christian period because it is a spiritual song, but it isn't like it isn't Christian explicitly, and it isn't it doesn't have this like this bitterness to it either. There's this no, nice no. fusion. It's, it's of, like about the humility of realizing your place in the universe in relation to the creator and and all of creation it's like exactly yeah totally uh, yeah humility is the perfect word for it and i think that if there's one thing that i can say against this version which i think actually is an, an important lyrical change is that he says i'm hanging in the balance of a perfect finished plan and in the in the song that was actually released he says i was hanging in the balance I am hanging in the balance of the reality of man, like every sparrow mm. falling, like every grain of sand. And mm. I think that the the latter is actually the that's the right lyric for it. I think that it makes way it's it's a much better lyric. The reality of man is very different than putting perfect finished plan there. Right. Because reality of man feels so uncertain and it's kind of like a dark uh note to sort of think about hanging in the balance of man's reality like everything else that we can perceive right so i think that that was the right change to make and if it came down to that lyric needing to be changed and that's why you know forget the dog barking that's why they didn't use this version (laughs) then i actually have to say that that was the right choice because i think uh it's a really great uh lyric lyric change yeah sure well every grain of sand great song this next one is also i really like this i have to say this you one, changed my life yeah you changed my life is um we're, we're really hitting a lot of the christian stuff in this and yeah that three. seems to be that's the most... not shied away from well-represented section of his career on this third disc. Yeah, this song is um, a robust... For better or worse. Full-on, five-plus-minute track. Very high energy. I'm listening to it now. It's... Came along in a time of strength. (laughs) It's so good. I'm a big fan. What do you think? Is is it so good? I kind of think it is. I mean, I, I listened to it a few times and I feel like it actually just like, despite not being so good, is so confident. It sounds really um, serious. And it goes past five minutes. Makes me feel it, like this was a, is the, not is a the throwaway. Five- is the five minute mark a significant barrier for you? Oh yeah. I mean, well, I think that it's not like a barrier, but I think five minutes is like, okay, you mean something you actually like meant to make this song. Got it. Into a bit of a statement. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's good. You know, this is one that's from, this is another one that's from the shot of love uh, sessions. Uh, and there were a zillion, um, you know, sort of songs on the uh, left on the cutting room floor from the shot of love sessions. Um, you know, like there wasn't anything from saved and there was very, there was nothing like from empire burlesque for instance, but there was a ton from shot of love. There was a ton from infidels. So it's, this is 1981. So right. 
it's interesting how you know some of these records have like 10 or 15 extra tracks coming out of them and some of them are just just the record and there isn't anything else spare for it um i and and so i think the song does fit kind of in what he was doing on shot of love with uh you know <laughs> the great watered down love um and uh, and some of the other tracks on there um uh, groom still waiting at the altar but is out outside of shot of love i don't know that it does a whole lot for me um or is is particularly interesting like I, I think if you put it on shot of love in place of one of the other songs that are a little you know not not quite as strong uh, I, I think it would fit in there totally fine and make that a slightly stronger record but that's kind of the only place that it it fits for me i don't i don't i don't know that it's revelatory in in any true sense well you're not listening to the lyrics because he says you changed my life (laughs) it's true he says it so many times in the song how can you say that that's not revelatory in a time of of strife i got lost in the charade i something something else and you changed my life it's pretty good it is fun, kind of like propulsive. The drums are nice. I love nice. the end as it fades out. There's like a ridiculous guitar solo. Or like the guitar is like shredding. Yeah, and yeah it, it almost sounds like a Lindsey Buckingham solo or something. Yeah, it's like real crazy. <laughs> I'm looking back at the lyrics on on, sta- or on on the screen. I was eating with the pigs off a fancy tray. I was told I was looking good and to have a nice day. It all seems so proper. It all seems so elite. Eating that absolute garbage while being so discreet. Yeah. That's me. That's pretty good. Uh, What do we think about the next song? Er, Need a woman. Yeah, I think I feel about this song what you feel about uh, You Changed My Life. I also feel about this song what I feel about You Changed My Life, except probably even more. I, I'm not a big fan of this one. I'm not a huge fan, yeah. Another Burn another shot. Of, yeah, exactly. I guess it's got like a memorable little groove. I think it's the, uh, I'm looking at my notes, right? I think this is the, like an early preview of what would come to be the, one of the defining movements in Bob's sound in the eighties is the rock and daddy sound. I think this is sort of an early preview of that direction here. It's very heavy on the organ. It's got kind of a, like a cheesy, not butt rock guitar, but just like very like, like oppressive and like overly present kind of electric guitar kind of thing to it. And it's got that that kind of like plodding mid tempo pace to it, and he's just talking about how he needs a woman. Like there's, it's, it's just it's that weird. Like, was this during know? that time when he was like, like courting that woman who was like kind of he thought was his like spiritual love uh, mistress or something like spiritual soul sister. I don't know. I know who you're talking about. There, I, I don't know sure. who that was, but there was like, wasn't there like a period? It was, he, it was towards the, it was the early, earlier days of the Christian period. Cause yeah. a, after that, he segues into the relationship with Carolyn Dennis. But before that, yeah, there was some yeah, sort of like mystic, this mystical wife. Yeah. He's got, um, he, whatever he's doing in the song is just like weird. It, there's a line about like the kind of love that doesn't have to be condemned. He's like the, the love between a man and a woman. 
I want to be in love with you in a way that's not gay. I want (laughs) to not be gay. I don't even want, I don't want anybody to be able to say at any moment, at any time, that I'm being gay. So I need a woman and not a man. Uh, Angelina. Angelina. Not to be confused with farewell, Angelina. Well, that's the question, right? Is this is this the same Angelina that he's bid farewell to? This is just her song. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of like this song, but it's also a little bit uh, ponderous to me. Yeah, ponderous, I think, is the right word for it. It's uh, it's clear that he's going for something kind of big here. You mentioned a minute ago, like the right. five-minute barrier. Like This, this one song, goes I think almost, it's almost to six. seven minutes. It's is it's almost seven? Six fifty. Yeah, this is a lengthy kind of song. It's clear that he's going for something big here, and like this is supposed to be kind of a moment, momentous kind of song that's got a lot behind it and really kind of important. But I'd, I don't think it gets there, and I think that's why it didn't end up getting included. This, uh, this is another shot of love song. Yeah, um, it... It's kind of interesting to hear what like the a big long epic like that would be during this era because I guess this is it and there isn't really one on shot of love really right right you don't have like a you don't get like a even a Brownsville, Brownsville girl. girl on there oh. so I guess this was going to be like the Brownsville girl for that that moment it's good in it, but it's not. I don't know if it sticks the landing. Yeah, it doesn't really for me. Um, it uh, I just get kind of bored uh, by it by the time I get to the end. Uh, the, the most interesting thing to me on Angelina is all the words that he rhymes with Angelina, which are just extremely funny to me. So from from the top, we have uh, concertina. Right, I like the line about the concertina. And- <laughs> the current is strong and the monkey dances to the tune of a concertina. Oh, Angelina. Uh, we've got um, worshiping a god with the body of a woman well endowed and the head okay. of a hyena. Oh, Angelina. The body of a woman well endowed. Is that what he says? Yes. And the head of a hyena. Uh, and then, <laughs> this is maybe my favorite one here. Uh, I was only following instructions when the judge sent me down the road with your subpoena. <laughs> oh, Angelina. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess, uh, you know, I think this song really, is worth... Really trying to jam that one in there, it's, Bob. It's worth uh, your time. I think this one... Maybe if I listen to this enough times, just kind of like walking around, like half listening to it, I'll start to see why it's great. It does have a maybe. lot of colorful lines like that. Just step into the arena. And arena, yeah. Argentina also rhymed with it, but like subpoena is the absolute. That's hey, a you can't that's a you real can't one. say it doesn't rhyme. It, you, it it one thing is certainly true, and that is that the word subpoena uh, rhymes with the word Angelina. Uh, the next song is another leap in time to 1983, from 81 to 83. Yep, and here we get something kind of uh familiar. It's someone, someone's got a hold of my heart and you might, you might look at that title and think, I don't recognize that. But if you hear the song, I think you'll start to see that, you know, a little bit more about this song than you might've thought. You will click quickly pick up on the fact that this is, uh, in fact, a germinal version, an early version. You could say, Oh, someone's got a hold of my heart. 
where would that person be? Uh, what's the next step after that thought? Has anybody seen my heart, my love? My love. There you go. Yes, this is an early version of Jokerman fave, Tight Connection, the opening track to 1985's Empire Burlesque. I think that, uh, if nothing else, this version, this sort of uh, proto-embryonic uh, version of a Tight Connection just serves to show that it was always going to be a good song. Absolutely. And even in this um, sort of uh, pre premature form, it's still uh, pretty solid. It's good. It's good. Yeah, pretty solid, I think, is the the way to phrase it. This, this it's came on from its the way. In- on its way, yeah. This came from the Infidel Sessions. It's, uh, um, uh, Bob didn't feel like he got there. Uh, totally on it and so he kept it kind of kept it in reserve um and you can kind of tell that like based on the the lyric uh he just kind of goes through the same line again and again someone's got a hold of my heart someone's got a hold of my heart someone's got a hold of my heart you yeah you got a hold of my heart like it, it, he was just kind of he, he had more to more to to fit in there um there's also kind of a biblical undertone to this um, at least this version of it that ends up getting stripped out on the Empire Burlesque version, which I think also kind of makes sense. Um, What's the biblical it, angle? Well, he's got a, he's got something about Babylon in here. I've been to Babylon. I got to confess. I could still hear the voice crying in the wilderness. Um, uh, Memphis in June. Um, well, Memphis in June is that song. Well, Memphis in June is that song, but I think he might also. Well, I guess he's probably referencing the song. I mean, I it's thinking, probably, maybe thinking it's ancient probably not past him that, that that there's sort of a a a relationship between Memphis and Babylon there. Yeah, uh, I think. Uh, well, at and the beginning, they, they say, "Eat, drink, and be merry. Take the bull by the horns." I keep seeing visions of you, a lily among thorns. Everything looks mm-hmm. a little far away to me. Um. Anyways, you know, all, all that stuff. It it like it, it's fine to discard. I think, or it ended up being fine to discard and turn into what it ended up getting turned into Yeah, a few years down the line. Interestingly, um, a couple lines in the final version uh, actually ended up being pulled almost directly from several Humphrey Bogart movies, which I did oh. not realize at the time. What What um, is that? Uh, so we've got... Um, uh, I've got to move fast. I can't with you around I my neck. I couldn't with you around my neck. Yep, that's from Sirocco, 1951, starring Humphrey Bogart. And then we've also got... Uh, Sirocco? We want How's that spelled? S-I-R-O-C-C-O. Okay. We've also got, uh, we want to talk to you, Spade. Well, go ahead and talk. Wow, some of the most iconic lines. That's from Mal- the Maltese Falcon, 1941. Wow, you know, I was just about to watch the Mal- Maltese Falcon. That's classic. I've been listening to an audiobook of... Uh, uh, the Big Sleep by Raymond Chandler. I've been having sort of a noir moment. I have uh, read The Big Sleep many a time. God, it's so hard to follow. But like, that's not even what you like about that shit. It's like, it's just like all the times when he's like having a drink and describing like how someone's mouth looks weird or, and shit like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, interestingly, uh, those Raymond Chandler novels, uh, I'm, I'm sort of a, a Raymond Chandler head. I've got all his, I've got like, yeah, I've, yeah, I'm, I'm a big guy. Uh, but a lot of those um, novels were, like he wrote short stories 
previous to, to starting the novels. And so what he would do with the novels was just take two short stories and kind of graft them together into one novel. And so you can, you can, oh. you can see clearly in the big sleep, uh, you know, by the time you get to the end of it, there's sort of a suture point in the middle of the story where the first part of the story kind of just gets put on pause and then we move directly what, like, into is, a very different kind of like mystery. The, the thing with like the guy who gets poisoned in the in that like shitty office building. Uh, is I, I think so. Honestly, I I haven't it's read it. So in, hard uh, to follow. I mean, yeah, but I haven't so, read it in a few years. It's so good. It it's fantastic. I also um, but, watched the movie uh, The Big Sleep recently with Bogart. With Bogart, yeah, exactly. Um, long goodbye. You should you should get to that. Well, I mean, um, it's my favorite movie. One of my favorite movies is the the Altman Long Goodbye, the Altman version. But the book, I mean, is fantastic. yeah, yeah. I, I'm actually uh, eagerly anticipating. There's a bunch of them about to drop on like Audible, like, ah. um, and that's where I do most of my quote reading. Quote reading. Yes. Um. Anyways, Bob pulling these lyrics from several uh, Bogart classics. You know, um, it does remind me that him doing that. It reminds me a little bit of the uh, incessant um, movie referencing in uh, Brownsville girl with uh, Brownsville girl, Gregory Gregory Peck. Peck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I was just going to say is he was quoted apparently as saying that tight connection, which somebody's got a hold of my heart evolved into was a uh, quote, very visual and that he wanted to uh, make a movie out of it. Well, the, they certainly did kind they of, they did make a hell of a video out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that video seems to have a little bit of like a noir angle, him like sitting in the hotel room, uh, looking distraught and like walking through Tokyo yeah, remember when he's in the hotel lobby next to that pool and there's that woman like yeah, swimming yeah. through? Exactly. Oh, so yeah. good. So good. God, it's a shame that there isn't like a high quality version of that video anywhere. It, it all looks like shit. Uh, I think that's kind of, that's kind of, uh, kind of the vibe. It was probably just shot on videotape, not, not even on so. film. God. It's like Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights wasn't shot on videotape, was it? No, but like that's the whole thing. Like once you get into the eighties, oh, like they no, start no, shooting yes, on yeah. tape, and you know they have the random guys they pull off of Ventura oh, yeah. Boulevard yeah. and just shove in the backseat of the limo with Roller Girl, and it's all gross and shit. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about that movie recently. It's very good. Good movie. Great San Fernando Valley picture. Fantastic. Apparently, PTA's next film is also going to take place in the in the valley. In the valley. Yeah. In the seventies, yeah, seventies, yeah. yeah, they've got like a slice of somewhere, like Reseda or something, kind of like done up to look like it did back then. The same really? way that, yeah, uh, same I way that tr- Quentin Tarantino did for uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Great film. Another great film. Don't trust anyone who doesn't like that movie. Really, absolutely. I don't. Like, I don't get it, but it helps to um, love the city of Los Angeles. Absolutely. If you don't, which then everyone you should, won't like that film. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, tight connection. Somebody's got a hold of your heart. It's okay. Tight connection. Absolute all time pantheon. Bob Dylan song. Literally, honestly, not even joking. Right up there with uh, with uh, Rolling Stone and with um, uh, Tangled Up in Blue and with Visions of Joanna and all of the greats. Well, it's it's in its own way, you know, just as good as those. Yeah, it's a it's a song no one else could have made ever. 
Absolutely. Tell me. I like this one. And I actually told you before we started recording that I kind of liked, I liked, I, I think I said, I'm liking this one. Right. <laughs> um, and that's how I feel about it. Uh, it's just like a country trifle. Yeah. I mean, there's not a whole lot going on here. It's got a nice kind of like, like almost kind of like tropical vibe to it or like Calypso-y. Yeah. It's got kind of like, um, like, like a Buffett type vibe. Yeah. Yeah. It it definitely does seem like a kind of Buffett. It's like it's five o'clock somewhere. (laughs) Right. While you're laying in a hammock, sipping on a drink out of a coconut or something. Yeah, exactly. That's what I like about it. That's cool. All right. I I can, I can get behind that. Yeah. Total like Jimmy Buffett energy. You know, I was just thinking about Jimmy Buffett listening to him um, recently. I don't understand how anyone could dislike Jimmy Buffett. It's not worth your time to like be angry at Jimmy Buffett about his music. And he has some great lyrics. He has the song uh, that starts with constantly amazed by the blades of the fan on the ceiling. What a great way to start a song. You know, I gotta, I gotta say, plead the, uh, plead ignorance on, on the Jimmy Buffett uh, discography. My my belief about Jimmy Buffett is basically that it's like Carmelita core. Like all of his songs are just kind of like Carmelita. Like Zevon Carmelita? Yeah. Wow. Although like a little less dark, but I mean, (laughs) even his most famous song, Margaritaville, it's a song about just being fucked up. You know, I, I, I don't know, but you don't, I, what I do you trust, mean? You don't know. I trust you. You don't know the song Margaritaville. I've heard of Margaritaville. I, I'm certainly aware of that being a Jimmy Buffett song, but oh if you ask God. me to hum the song, I don't Wasting know that I could. away again in Margaritaville. Right. Yeah. I guess that sounds kind of familiar. Searching for my shaker song. No, Somebody no, says now that there's a woman to blame, but I don't. It's my own damn fault. God, you're in for a treat. You better just make yourself a tiki drink and listen to Margaritaville sometime soon. Stay tuned for series two of Jokerman. Uh, Jokerman uh, in Margaritaville, where we go through every Jimmy Buffett album. South of the border. Jokerman port of call, Margaritaville. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that would be pretty good. It would be. We should just do uh, Banana Wind by, by Jimmy Buffett. Yeah. That album, great title. Features the song Jamaica Mistaka. Very good. Absolute legend. Anyway, Tell Me is, it's good. And it's a yeah. good hammock jam. Nice, uh, nice... Nice light little trifle. Little breeze from 1983. The next one is uh, Lord Protect My Child. Not a hammock type song, I would say. No, very much the opposite. What is the opposite of a hammock? Uh, hmm. Probably being tied up. With, you have to be standing with leather straps at, or something. What's one of the, what's that like ancient kind of, or not ancient, but like medieval kind of torture device where they put you in sort of a casket. The Iron Maiden. 
Yeah, the Iron Maiden. Yeah, literally, right? And the, there's the Iron Maiden, a thing with spikes that yeah, literally spikes. kills you. Yeah, it's is, the opposite of the hammock. Opposite of ham- yeah, because hammock, you're like reclining and laying down and, and enjoying yourself and a lot. <laughs> and you're living to your fullest extent. And, and the Iron Maiden, the Iron you're Maiden, literally you're being enclosed. You, it's in metal. You're standing up and you're dying. Yes. With spikes through you. Spike, yeah, I think I that's pretty close right. to the opposite of a hammock. That's so true. Wow. Yeah. Incredible uh, insight, Ian. So Lord Protect My Child uh, is an Iron Maiden type song. You're saying it's a metal song. That's, uh, uh, I mean, it does it's say like hair metal. It does say rape. He does use it the does R word It does say the world there. was raped. Yeah, and defiled. Like Run to the Hills by Iron Maiden. Right. That was the first song I ever played on the, on, learned to play on the drums. Uh, Run to the hills. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Does the drum kind of mirror yeah, the goes, guitar in that? Okay, that makes sense. It's all about, like, uh, you know, soldiers killing and raping people. Right. But, like, in a cool way. Well, it's, no. No. Oh. I mean, I, I guess it's about the Native Americans sort of screaming, like, no, we got to escape this. Like, we're running to the hills. We don't stand a chance against the invading army. Yeah, it really should, you know, it should be more like we, you know, song about how they have strength to fight back. I don't know. Still a pretty fun song to listen to. Definitely. I remember playing that on Guitar Hero many times. Run this song is not Run to the Hills by Iron Maiden. No. no. Uh, <laughs> it is Lord, Lord Protect My Child, something you would, you would maybe say in that scenario. Yeah. Pretty, uh, sl- pretty heavy, pretty weighty kind of song uh, another kind of infidels track here um you know we've got a run of three at this point and we'll have a a few more after this um but a pretty like honest and naked and like truthful kind of track from bob i think especially as uh, you know w- judged by what we got out of him on infidels where he didn't do a whole lot of confessional kind of material obviously he never really does a lot of confessional material but especially mean, on infidels who, who can say if it's totally confessional i mean it could I mean, just be a character but uh, this man is a man with children and i don't believe that he can sing a song like this with this amount of apparent feeling and not be drawing from his personal life yeah i mean like if you're a dad or you know a parent or whatever and you're the parent of a child who's i guess how old would jacob dylan have been at this point in time like 10 15 something like that yeah um and you're writing lyrics like there's gladness in his heart he's got his mother's eyes he's young and he's wild my only prayer is if i can't be there lord protect my child like i you know the plead plead check off short stories all you want like that's some of that shit is coming from actually within you somewhere um uh at to, to some degree um, you know, it's not a very thrilling kind of listen it's by good, any means. Though. It's very, it's, it's, it's like a, yeah, it's slow. It's, it's a, measured. It's a, the rare, like bluesy number that really has like a strong altruistic kind of selfless theme to it on your knees, begging the Lord to, to help your, your boy. Right. 
Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, a fusion of the Christian spirit. I think that he was still like semi-surfing during the Infidels era, but beginning to discard. How about the next track? <laughs> Foot of Pride. You love this one, don't you? It's, it's great. It's fantastic. One of my favorites. When that foot of pride come down, it's not. I'm going to try to say, think of it. For, what is it from memory? When oh, that I'm foot like, of pride <laughs> come down, there's nothing. There ain't nothing like that foot of pride. <laughs> I wasn't listening to it, but then you just were poorly reciting the lyrics. Made me need to turn it on. <laughs> yeah, and just vibing and already. That's, that's how it goes. It goes when if the foot of pride comes down. You don't ever. You never think about how that foot of pride is going to go. Until it comes down. It's so like it's it's got such a strong vibe to it. I don't know it how does you have, can't. No, I I've grown to like it um, quite a bit actually. We talked about this a little bit on the best of the eighties uh, episode with the playlist already. It was included on there. I've only grown to love it even more since then. I do really like the way that the chord progression goes when it goes. Um, I forget like where it happens, but do you know what I mean? When he uh, don't 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 Yeah, when it hits the chorus here, it goes. When they know we're going down, the pride goes Ain't no going back. Yeah, yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, it's it's actually not like a super typical progression there for the chorus and it's a really it it's got that Knopfler Knopfler Dylan magic going this one should have been on a record yeah this was cut for infidels once should again been, should have been on infidels this, should have been, this on, been on infidels instead of neighborhood bully well <laughs> now you're really doing anti-semitism um it's a great song. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's, it's uh, a very heavy kind of lyric. I, I still don't know that I like have a great kind of understanding of what's going on either. here. But I mean, it, uh, he's Lou just Reed kind of pissed. Covered it, and uh, I think Lou Reed also was was hip to the fact that the song is pissed. Right, and when yes. he was going to be involved in that 30th anniversary show, I think he was like probably thumbing through the songbook and. This one came to mind because it's so pissed. Yes. It it almost like, I mean, when he, when, so the Lou Reed version is on that, that 30th anniversary Dylan um, uh, compilation from <laughs> Madison Square Garden. Yeah. It almost sounds like a Lou Reed song, like right, the lyrics right. and the spirit and stuff that it's, that's going on, especially you know, like, from that it, era of the, Lou. Especially the lyric, uh, you know, like foot of pride. It's not that different from like modern dance or like busload of faith or like any right. of those Lou Reed lyrics. And of course Lou Reed was there for a reason. Like Lou Reed was deeply influenced by Dylan. Uh, like how could you not be uh, right. making rock and roll music in, in the sixties. Um, but it's also interesting, really, really interesting that, Lou Reed went and did this song in 93. Like just, you know, he could probably have his pick of any Dylan song to cover practically. And he 
he wanted to do this one. One from 10 years prior, less than 10 years prior. That hadn't even been heard by anyone before two years. Yeah, yeah. That was just like not canonized at all. That's so, Lou for you. So cool to to make that choice, folks. We love Lou. Like people just who were there, probably like most of them probably were just like I. They probably thought he was this. singing his own yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. Probably thought it was just like really like when did when this is not Dylan's song. Yeah, which is cool because of course like I just imagine that like Lou would probably be like yeah I'll do this like I'll come out and I'll I'll do a Dylan song. And then just picks one that nobody knows. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The the promoters were like, okay, Lou, we're going to get you out there. You're going to do, um, you know, um, uh, absolutely sweet Marie. Yeah. One that no, uh, yeah. Instead of like absolutely <laughs> sweet Jane. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets up there and he just, it's like a, he, he this is a long ass song, uh, on its own. It's like six minutes. And the Lou version is like eight and a half minutes or something. And he's, he's just like, oh, it's great. Yeah. That great that version is great. The original version, I think, even better because it's got a nice vibe to it. The Lou version is a little more angular and just kind of blunt. Uh, ain't um, no going back. I, I don't know how it sounds, actually. I have to listen yeah. to it again. Yeah, I mean, that's not <laughs> that's not far off, to yeah. be honest. Um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's a badass song. And it doesn't really sound like much of else or much else that he was doing at this time. And uh, if it would have been on Infidels, I would have fucking loved it. And, you know, I, I still love it here. The, the term foot of pride, which you, Evan, have yeah, expressed I, I uh, like, some displeasure well, it's not with. not a great lyric. And then you pointed out that it's from the Bible. And then I said, yes. never mind, never mind. It's really good. Yeah, you recanted that very quickly. Uh, the line is, uh, let not, it's from, it's from Psalm 36. Let oh, one not of the classic the foot, Psalms. One of the best psalms. Let not the foot of pride come near me. No wicked hand disturb me. <laughs> Let not the foot of the gross foot of pride come near me because it's gross. <laughs> it's smelly. Let not the foot of pride touch me. It's sweaty and it, it, you need to clean it. Show feet of pride. Yeah. I'm, I'm tweeting that at a woman. Show your foot of pride to me. Actually, please put stomp your foot of pride directly onto my face. And don't wash it before, please. Um, that the next one preferred. is Blind Willie McTell. Uh, incredible uh, song about Willie McTell. Blind Willie. Yes. Yeah, so I mean we're we're closing in on the end of uh on the end of volume three and then on the end of you know the entire initial trilogy of the bootleg series at this point. And all of these songs, I think, from here on out are songs that we've we've talked, talked about, about in the past. So, so yeah, we, I, mean, I don't wanna Blind Willie McTell, it's like a, it's a the epitome of a slow burn Dylan song. It's really yeah. a slow burn. It's a really smoldering song that just uh picks up steam. And um, ultimately works really well as as like a a perfect blend of sort of an ode to an actual uh, blues legend and also like a vehicle for Dylan to just kind of take these imaginative flights of fancy. And, right. it kind of, and, and I think it's it's all the more um, heavy with with meaning because it's. Uh, clearly about an artist 
you know, a, a, le- a, a legendary musician that Dylan has some sort of affinity for. So, yeah, uh, you get a lot of a song for per minute. <laughs> yeah, it's a great, a great value, folks. Yeah, a pound for pound, it's a, it's a good value. I'm not gonna make any comments about your religion. Um, <laughs> it's a good price. This is a good deal. If you were only to get it, this song on this third part, you could make this. You could say that it's a good deal. <laughs> uh, this is one of those rare instances where uh, I do not endorse uh, Evans' anti-Semitic interpretation of himself. Uh, I am a I'm a staunch ally of the Jewish people. Thank you. I'm not. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's why my favorite song is "Neighborhood Bully." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's fun. It's fun to return to Blind Willie McTell. I think now, having listened to "Good as I've Been to You" and "World Gone Wrong," um, "World Gone Wrong" specifically being a record where he covered multiple Willie McTell songs on, and just kind of like just sort of drawing out and tracing this line of appreciation that Bob has had for um, for McTell for uh, decades, obviously because he he wrote a song about him in 1983. And then a decade after that, he would go on to record his own songs, uh, yeah. you know, cover him. Yeah. Um, so this, it's clearly, you know, Bob claimed that he was kind of embarrassed, I think, by this song when he wrote it initially. And that's why it wasn't uh, re- included on the record because he felt like this material couldn't stand up to the material of Willie McTell that he was trying to honor by writing the song in the first place. You know what I think is that what do you think? all of the rest of the material that this record would have this song would have appeared on couldn't stand up to this song. Right. Yeah. That's well, I think the, that's, that's really more of the case is like this, probably a more accurate this song feels kind of out of place on infidels because it feels so much more sophisticated. And, and as we've discussed before, this song really feels like it, it kind of, uh, it, it pr- precedes. Oh, mercy. It, it would have been so at home on Oh mercy. I think. Yeah. Like, yeah, the, I mean, not the way that it knock, sounds right now. The, the, I but think yeah, the I'm way sure that it could. this song sounds even like it's not too much of a leap. It's already kind of got this nocturnal, um, slow burning aspect to it right. about a bluesman. It, it really doesn't feel so far for me. Uh, yeah, I see that from like what you get on like a man in the long black coat even. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think that there's, there's definitely a similarity there, a commonality there. Uh, the song, William McTell does have a fantastic sense of like drama and gravitas right, and right. sort of like that's, builds that's what and I mean. builds and builds. Yeah. And which is absolutely there on Oh Mercy. Um, Bob would have to be doing the, the, the grizzled voice a little bit and more for that. Yeah. But nobody, I mean, there's no song on, uh, infidels that, that does what this song does at all. Yeah. I think that's sort of the big takeaway for me uh, from from side three here. And we have two more songs before we wrap up. But just like Infidels could have been such a fucking kick at if, if it had Willie McTell yeah, yeah. and Foot of Pride and yeah. Lord Protect My Child on it. And cut uh, out and, some of those other duds. Like, Yeah, it could have just been such a fucking knockout yeah, I mean, killer because it still was starting with Joker Man. This is <laughs> a like, real. Um, yeah, yeah. This is a real. Uh, sticking point a lot of like real bob heads out there feel the same way as you just uh expressed it, th- that 
Infidels is kind of a great would be masterpiece album or right. would have been a really great record. But I think you and I both feel that it's not a really great record. Yeah. As presently constituted as, as it exists, you know, it's, it's a all time, you know, all time song and then seven other songs bolted onto it. Some of which are good, some of which are less so, but you know, the other material that he was right. I, I think what it really, what, yeah. what Can, bootleg series Can, three, how did you pick, I and I over blind Willie McTell. Yeah. I I think what bootleg series three illustrates is that, you know, Joker man kind of sticks out on infidels as like the one just, you know, shining, shining gem on that record. And you're like, why is one of these songs so fucking amazing? And all the other ones are just like kind of whatever, but it's not, it's not that he just had one lucky strike in the dark and everything else was whatever. It's that he had multiple great tracks that he was writing at the same time, but he just didn't include he, most of them on the had, record. It was literally the, the, the phenomenon of having like three other great songs that you cut from an album. Yep. So. It happened. It happened to infidels and it could happen to you. It's classic Bob. Well, um, we can bring it in for landing here at the end. Um, Another night comes falling talked, from the sky. Yeah, we've talked about this ad nauseum. You love, and I love the way that it is. Uh, the way that this version is, or the way that the, the way that this is. version is. Yeah, I think this is definitely the strongest version. This being the the version with little Steven and uh, Roy Bitten from the E Street Band. Yeah. Um, couple of uh of springsteen players behind the scenes sounds like a springsteen song you know it's great it does it is the most springsteen sounding thing that dylan's maybe ever done yes sonically the band is just not it's it's e street so what do you expect d street in this case z street z And the, yeah, Bob Dylan and the Z Street Band. <laughs> <laughs> Z Street. It's so stupid. Uh, I had a, I had a great interaction um, with a, a friend of the show um, on on Instagram, uh, Donnie, um, as he as he's known on Instagram. He he was telling me um that the unplugged version of Like a Rolling Stone is really is legit. It's really good. He said unplugged like a Rolling Stone is legit. And I read that and I thought that he was making up a fan bootleg title. Unplugged <laughs> like a Rolling Stone. <laughs> that would absolutely be a bootleg it title. It is. It is it'd be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> unplugged like a Rolling Stone. Like a Rolling Stone. <laughs> You've just you've ruined your brain now. You're just yeah, constantly no, I'm, thinking I'm in totally, fan bootleg I, titles. The Z Street Band just got <laughs> got me a uh, got got the old old gears turning. <laughs> the old noodle going. Yeah, Bob Dylan and the Z Street Band live in Atlantic City, 1984. The Z Street Band. Okay. Um, well, that brings us once again to the, um, the greatest song ever written. <laughs> to the only song that we ever talk about on uh, Jokerman anymore. Yeah, I mean, uh, I every time I hear it, it's just like a cleansing rain, just washing away everything that that troubles me. It's a beautiful song. 
A, a cleansing, uh, pure snowfall, you might say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, We're in the midst uh, of one of those. Bringing, bringing peace to the world outside. Bringing, yeah. So uh, dream, I'm listening folks. to it. Thank you. Goes up to the Bad a series of dreams. See, we're at different parts here. Yeah. Everything stays down when it's wounded. And comes to a permanent stand. Permanent stand. <laughs> what a, uh, well, rather than amazing. just uh, yeah. sing the rest of that song. <laughs> yeah, to I realize that the uh, listener can't hear the, the, the song actual at version the moment of it. Yeah. That I'm, I don't think we have too much more to add based on or beyond what we've talked about uh, to to great extent on numerous previous episodes but uh, by I, this point. I was but told that you had some tidbit about this song. I do have a fun uh, I do have a fun little bonus tidbit here for series of dreams um, for perhaps the last time that we'll talk about it. Um, pro- it's definitely not. The we'll last mention time we'll talk it about again. It. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, but to sort of wrap up the bootleg series, uh, first three volumes here, uh, listeners, loyal listeners, uh, and for, for the pain and blood members who are listening to this episode, we assume you all are, uh, should be aware of our kind of fascination with the concept of uh, title tracks on Dylan records. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the great, the great uh, missing song planet waves or are you about um, to say what I think that you're about to say? Well, I might be. I'm going to lose my shit if that's what, <laughs> if, if what I think is about to happen. Re- t- the original title of Series of Dreams was Oh Mercy. No! <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm literally not kidding you. But but it doesn't... Was Were there original lyrics where he said Oh Mercy in it? Unknown. Who Who can say? I thought all what, I know, what, all I have is is from is from my 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 again Bob Dylan all the songs book, which has just informed me very simply in a one sentence note, original title of series of dreams. Oh mercy! I thought what you were going to say, which is which would have made way more sense and been way cooler, is the opposite of that. Was that the oh, album? Was that the record was originally was going called, to be series, called of series of dreams. Ah. Uh. Well, this is the inverse version. Of it, that. It, that would have been a way better record than record title. Series of Dreams is a great title for a record. I like the idea of Series of Dreams being, being called, called Oh Mercy. Mercy. That's <laughs> that's throwing me for a loop. Whoa! I mean, I re- I'm fully supporting of that uh, alternate possible history. It's like the monkey's paw. You got your wish, but it's the exact yeah. opposite yeah, of what you yeah. wanted. Totally fucked up. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm happy to know that. Um, still, <laughs> I'm sorry that it wasn't the other way around. Whatever happens, you know. I mean, series of dreams is just like. I feel like it's like the other Joker man. It's the other great Dylan later period Dylan song that. Uh, even even uh, it's different than Joker Man because it actually like really doesn't get its due, you know. Right. Just because yeah. it shows up here on the bootleg series, it does not make up for its omission from Oh Mercy. Not even close. <sighs> oh Mercy, the song on Oh Mercy, the album. Right, right. The song <laughs> Oh Mercy doesn't <laughs> being omitted from Oh Mercy. <laughs> 
There is something beautiful about that, though, in that in that series of dreams originally titled "Oh Mercy." Uh, eliminated from the album Oh Mercy because Bob didn't like it or whatever, but he still kept the title Oh Mercy for the album, even though the song so, he yeah, titled I, Oh Mercy wasn't included I on which the album. Came first, the Oh Mercy, the chicken or the egg? You know, the Oh right, Mercy right. was it just the name of the song, and then they thought of naming the album that, or the other way? You know, who can say? Who can say? Some mysteries are left. Uh, or best left unresolved. It's a mystery to me. Well, until next time, this has been... Jokerman. Oh, baby, there ain't no coming back. The word of pride, I come down. Oh, 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 ain't no coming back. Coming back, you know, the put a put a put a Friday night